you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians 5, look at verses 22 and 23 this morning, particularly the one word kindness that shows up in those verses. And the text is also printed in the bulletin for you. Uh, Kindness. So just the other day, on November 13th, it was World Kindness Day. Bet you didn't even know that. Did you know it? Did anybody know that? (laughs) World Kindness Day is November 13th. It's an international observance. It's been an international observance since uh, 1998, long, long ago. Um, On World Kindness Day, all people everywhere are supposed to do things like give each other compliments, uh, give each other nice little gifts, uh, try to make each other smile. Uh, let other people merge into traffic with a friendly wave instead of getting road rage, and uh, so on. You get the idea? It's a good day for uh, sharing stories about how people can be nice to each other. <clears throat> World Kindness Day. Uh, maybe you've heard of the organization and the movement called Random Acts of Kindness. It's totally random. You're supposed to just, out of the blue, be kind to somebody. You know, buy them a coffee or something. Their mission, Random Acts of Kindness, you go to their website, their mission is to to make kindness the norm in schools and workplaces and homes and communities. So if you go to, your, uh, to their website, you'll find lots of ideas, uh, lots of uh, quotes, uh, videos, and stories to inspire kindness in everyone. And I thought this was a nice story from their website. So here's a little story uh, that somebody posted on their website. <clears throat> I was kind of having a bad day, so I went for a walk, and I saw the cutest puppy ever. As I continued walking, the lady came up to me with the puppy in her arms. She asked me if I wanted to play with the puppy. It made me so happy. It was so fun playing with the puppy. It was really kind of the lady to do that. So nice. (laughs) Many people would probably say that puppies exemplify kindness. Puppies embody kindness. That puppies are basically kindness incarnate, right? They're so welcoming, so friendly, so cuddly toward everyone. We should all be more like the puppies. Is that true? Uh, It might be true that some of us could stand to learn something about kindness from puppies. But the, the true shape of kindness might actually not be recognizable to everyone who would observe World Kindness Day. Jesus is kindness incarnate. Jesus is divine kindness in the flesh. His life and his love is the true shape of God's kindness come into the world. And nothing could be more foreign to this world. And nothing could be more wonderful than the kindness of Christ's love. And as his people... By the power of his spirit, we can show his kindness in ways that really make a difference to others. That's what we'll talk about this morning. So let's pray, then we will read the scripture together. Father, as we consider your holy word this morning, help us to see Jesus and help us to become more like him by the power of your spirit. We ask in his name. Amen. And we're going to say together the text as it's printed in the bulletin, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And kids, uh, maybe you can recite it by memory uh, by this point. So uh, let's read together now. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the Apostle Paul uh, writes uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, which we've quoted from several times, uh, a, lot of, a lot of parallels between that, uh, which is sort of his famous love chapter, right? And uh, the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians 5. He says that love is kind. He says love is patient. Love is kind. So as with other traits that are listed here as the fruit of the Spirit, kindness is a feature of love. Not just love as we imagine it, but love as God himself defines it. Love as God exemplifies it. And love as God commands us and requires of us. So kindness is a feature of love, how God defines it. Kindness, kindness is probably the most visible aspect of love. Kindness is probably the, the most external, obvious expression of love, right? Because kindness is not something that ever stays invisible. Kindness is not something that you just feel. You don't just feel kindness toward others. You show kindness. Kindness is something about the way that we speak or the way that we act toward others, the way that we treat others. Kindness is the outward, uh, compassionate, friendly aspect of of love. Kindness expresses sympathy. It expresses that, you know, we understand um, how things are going for you. It's the expression of that. It's meant to be helpful. Kindness looks to help the other in the places of deepest need. Kindness says to someone, I'm not against you, I'm for you. And kindness is the opening of our lives to each other. It requires some vulnerability. It requires some sacrifice to show kindness to others. So kindness doesn't just mean being nice. Biblical kindness, as God defines it, as a feature of love, it doesn't mean just being nice or being pleasant or being agreeable or easy to get along with. It's much more substantial than that. And kindness doesn't just mean keeping people happy with you. It's, it's much more risky than that. Kindness isn't something that a puppy can do best. Not biblical kindness as a feature of love, as God defines it. <clears throat> it isn't something a puppy can do best, even though they've got affection just bubbling out of them constantly. Uh, <clears throat> we read a lot of stories of kindness in the scriptures. Joseph showed kindness to his brothers, his brothers who had sold him into slavery. He forgave them and he preserved their lives through a terrible famine. Uh, Another example, Ruth showed kindness to her mother-in-law, Naomi, by staying with her when both their husbands had died, by living for Naomi. Ruth lived for Naomi when she easily could have just lived for herself, found herself a new husband, a new life entirely apart from Naomi. Kindness, like Joseph and Ruth showed, was life-changing to other people, and it was costly. It was very difficult for them to show this kindness. But we see the, the ultimate, the very incarnation of kindness in Jesus. His whole life, his whole life that you can read about in the Gospels, was the movement of God's compassionate kindness toward us. 
All the stories of kindness that you might find in the scriptures, they point to the incarnation of God's kindness in Jesus. Who can read through the Gospels and not be touched by his actually supernatural kindness? The sick were brought to him for healing. He turned no one away. When people called for help, he went to them. Lepers came to him. These are people who are shunned by all for their sickness. <clears throat> you don't associate with lepers. You definitely don't touch lepers. But Jesus showed them compassion, and he touched them, and he made them whole. And he showed them love. Jesus associated with the lowly and with the outsiders, with those who were maybe considered unsavory because of their own life choices. And also with those who found themselves on the fringes of society through no fault of their own. <clears throat> In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus' enemies came to arrest him under cover of darkness, and one of his people stood up on his behalf and cut the ear off of one of their servants, one of the, one of the bad guys, right? He stopped the fight and he restored his enemy's ear to him. That was an act of kindness, right? His kindness extends to all kinds of people, the outcast, the marginalized, those who have nothing to offer, even to his enemies who sought to take his life. But his kindness, it's not just about being nice to everybody. And it's not just about keeping everybody happy with him. He failed to do that. To keep everybody happy with him. The kindness of Jesus, it often means having strong words to say. His kindness often means confronting and challenging others. That's not puppy kindness. It's divine kindness. For example, uh, in our gospel reading, which Sarah read, we heard about Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. The woman was an outcast. She was an outcast among outcasts. Right? So as a Samaritan, as part of the group of Samaritans, she was despised by the Jews. She was not welcome among the people of God. And Jesus himself was a Jew, and she would have expected him to reject her. And as the particular woman that she was, for whatever reason, having been divorced by several husbands and now living with her boyfriend in what is a, really a scandalous thing in that culture, she was shunned by the other people of her town. She was shunned by the other outcasts and was unable even to join the other women at the, the regular time for going to the well in the morning when all the women went together. She was someone whose whole life was defined by rejection. And here comes the Lord of life, surprising her by even speaking to her. But his kindness doesn't just affirm her. His kindness goes so far as to make her uncomfortable. His kindness highlights the aspects of rejection in her life. It highlights those aspects in their conversation. Jesus is kind toward the Samaritan woman as he demonstrates that he truly knows her. He knows who she is. Not just what kind of person she is. He knows her. And he demonstrates an attitude of grace and acceptance. He is for her. Even as he's pointing out that she's in a place of desperate need. For, for forgiveness, for God's forgiveness, for God's rec, uh, restoration. He's not antagonistic. 
He's not vicious. He's not hostile. He's not condemning. It obviously comes across. But in his kindness, he also won't stand by as she looks for her ultimate fulfillment in life apart from God. He won't stand for it because he loves her. His kindness leads him to do an intervention. His kindness leads him to call her to repentance and salvation as he offers the living water that she needs, which is life with God in his name, relationship with God through him. And Paul talks about divine kindness in this way, the way that we see it so frequently demonstrated in Jesus' life. Uh, when Paul says in Romans chapter 2, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Does confrontation over your sin and the call to repentance feel like kindness to you? Does it seem like kindness to you? I think most people feel that it's actually unkind to point out the faults of others. Most people feel that way. Someone who seeks our repentance is making us uncomfortable. They're being a little too familiar, a little too invasive. That's not very nice. But God's kindness isn't just nice. Jesus demonstrates the kindness of God toward us in that he, he truly does know us. He understands us. He is sympathetic and compassionate toward our condition. And he knows how to help us in the places of our deepest need. He came to bring sinners to repentance, to restore our relationship to God, to reconcile us to God and to each other. That's our deepest need. And that means confronting us and exposing and challenging us in the places where we build our identities apart from God. It means confronting and exposing and challenging us in the places where we cling to our sin. And we will only let go when someone pries open our cold, dead fingers. <clears throat> Psalm 141 says, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let not my head refuse it. Look, some things are obviously unkind. Everybody would agree mocking others is unkind. Dehumanizing others is unkind. Sarcasm and slander are unkind. Looking to do harm through our words is unkind. But God says that allowing others to go unchallenged in their sin is unkind. God says it's unkind to stand by while others choose death rather than life with God. Not introducing others to Jesus is the greatest unkindness. It is kind for Jesus to make the Samaritan woman uncomfortable. It is kind for Jesus to make you uncomfortable. When Jesus confronts and challenges us in ways that make us uncomfortable, we know it's because of his kindness. We know it's because he's actually for us and not against us. He's showing that he wants to help us in the places of our deepest need when he stands against the self-destructive ways that we love so much. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with uh, the story of Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, she was an outspoken lesbian and a, a verbal opponent of Christianity. 
And she tells the story that after she had spoken in some uh, way, shape, or form against some Christian group, some evangelical group, uh, she received a lot of responses by mail, which she sorted in on her desk into two boxes. One was hate mail and one was fan mail. But she got a letter from a local pastor. Uh, she couldn't categorize it. She couldn't put it in hate mail and she couldn't put it in fan mail. It wasn't something that was against her. It wasn't something that was just affirming her. Because on the one hand, it was probing and it was questioning. But on the other hand, it was warm and civil and friendly. She said, it was the kindest letter of opposition that I ever received. She could tell that the pastor wasn't against her. The pastor was for her, even though he was confronting and challenging her. And that pastor and his wife became friends with her, and eventually she became uh, a Christian. She came to repent and believe the gospel. She found true life with God because of the kindness that leads to repentance. This is how the kindness of God works, as seen in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came. His life was filled with compassion and mercy and service, those things which are obviously kindnesses, and also absolutely challenging us in our sin, utterly convicting us of our need for his forgiveness and grace, clearly calling us to repentance and new life with him. We need God. We need relationship with him. We need repentance and faith. Those are the the places of our deepest need. And in his divine kindness, this is what Jesus came to bring us. He came to bring it to the littlest and the least of us. He came to bring it to those who are weak and despised by the world. He came to bring it to those who haven't been able to get their acts together. He came to bring his kindness to those who have nothing to offer. And those who abide in Jesus, those who have his Holy Spirit, those who have the life of Jesus alive in them, we can bear the fruit of his own kindness. So Tim Keller points out that there's a counterfeit kindness in this world. And this is what it looks like. It means being nice to others for some kind of reward, some kind of payoff, right? It's either a direct repayment in the gratitude of others. We actually receive some form of thanks for your kindness, or maybe just the ability to feel good about ourselves, right? But counterfeit kindness that is very uh, common in this world means being nice to others for some kind of reward, some kind of payoff. I'm personally susceptible to this counterfeit kindness. Uh, I want to keep people happy with me because I'm convinced that it'll make life easier for me in general. I'm tempted to think that if I'm nice, then I'll get what I want and things will go well for me. But Christian kindness isn't something that we do because we need something. Christian kindness comes from a place of fullness in God. Tim Keller says it comes from having a deep inner security because of our relationship with God. It's Christ-centered, spirit-filled, other-oriented, entirely selfless kindness. This is what is meant when the Bible emphasizes so many times the idea of being kind to the littlest and the least, to the marginalized and to the outcast, to the foreigners and the widows and the orphans. Humanly speaking, these people have nothing to offer. 
There is no great reward in showing kindness to these particular people. The world sees value in making powerful friends, but sees little value or no value, no reward, in showing kindness to the littlest and to the least. So, Corey Ten Boom uh, was a Dutch Christian woman who, together with her family, uh, helped hide Jews during the World War II Holocaust. The Nazis eventually caught them, and she was taken to a concentration camp. Before this had happened, she had spent several years teaching the Bible to developmentally disabled people in what is basically Sunday school, like afternoon worship time with developmentally disabled people. She showed great kindness to many people. She showed God's love to many people whom the world would have held in low esteem or no esteem. She wrote about a time when she was in the concentration camp and one of the Nazi officers was questioning her, asking her what she used to do And she told him that she had given Bible lessons to mentally handicapped people. And he asked, don't you regard that as a waste of time? Surely it's much better to convert a normal person. If you're going to be kind, if you're going to take time, if you're going to expend energy, don't waste it on the littlest and the least. She recognized that this was fully in accord with his Nazi way of thinking, the way of thinking in the world, that only powerful people matter. That it's a waste of time to be kind to those who have nothing to offer. So she told him about Jesus, who had always cared for all who were weak and despised. And the officer slept badly that night, thinking about what she had said. And the next morning, he sent for her and asked her uh, to tell him more about this Jesus. The kindness of Jesus has the power to lift up the downcast and the kindness of Jesus has the power to bring low the proud and mighty. The kindness of Jesus has the power truly to change the world by destroying the self-oriented counterfeit kindness that seeks its own good and by giving us a fullness in our life with God that overflows in compassion and mercy to those who have nothing to offer. So Jesus shares this powerful kindness with us by his spirit, and he makes it clear what this spirit-filled kindness will look like for his people. He says a lot about it in Luke's gospel. I'll read some from, from chapter 6 and from chapter 14. Jesus says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, for you will be sons of the Most High, for he 
is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. And then in Luke 14, he said, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So God is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil, to those who cannot repay, even to those who will not repay, who refuse to repay. He's kind. So if you become like God, like Jesus, through his spirit, then you will be kind to the ungrateful and to the evil, even when there's no payoff, humanly speaking. Christian kindness means welcoming and befriending and sympathizing and opening your life and becoming vulnerable and being merciful and helping and giving and blessing and doing to others what you wish they would do to you if your position were reversed. And that is exactly what God has done to us. That's how he's been kind to us. In Christ, God treated us as he would wish to be treated, even to the point of laying down his life on the cross for us. We don't deserve that kindness. Um, Full of stories this morning. Harry Potter. Harry Potter's enemy, Voldemort. He takes a standard villain position on things like compassion and kindness. Right? You've heard it in all the stories. He tells Harry Potter his compassion is what makes him weak. He's so weak. He's so vulnerable. The villains always say kindness and love are weaknesses that'll end up getting the heroes killed. You will lose because you're compassionate and weak and vulnerable and kind. It's your weakness. Harry Potter comes back and he says, actually, Voldemort is the weak one because he can't love. So the standard hero comeback is, no, actually, my, my compassion is my strength. My kindness is my strength. And usually the hero means that because he is kind, he has a lot of friends, and the forces of darkness will never be able to overcome our sheer numbers. You'll never be able to exterminate all of us, and eventually we're going to destroy you in the end. We're going to win, and you'll be gone. I like how Harry actually, he stuns and he disarms Voldemort just by saying, actually, you're the weak one because you can't love, and I pity you. He pities his enemy. The Christian recognizes there is true power in kindness. It's not just the power of making friends and allies. It's not just the strength or security in numbers kind of power that you might build through worldly kindness. Ultimately, Christian kindness is not utilitarian. It doesn't look for for a reward from the people to whom we're kind. The true power of Christian kindness is is in helping when it doesn't pay. Helping when it doesn't pay. Jesus didn't show us this kindness because we had anything amazing to offer him. His kindness is entirely merciful and gracious. And when we participate in his life, when we look to him, and when we abide in him, when the spirit grows the fruit of his kindness in us, then we have no other reward than being with God 
and being like God in His kindness. The true reward is in knowing God to be our Father, in knowing Christ to be our brother, as we bear the family resemblance in our divine kindness, as we follow Jesus in everything, perhaps even in suffering and death, yes, but ultimately also in his resurrection and in his glory. So Christian kindness means, in large part, extending the welcome and the challenge of Christ's mercy to those who have resisted it, to those who don't deserve it, to those who won't necessarily even appreciate it or be grateful for it. Christ-like kindness means things like visiting the sick and the prisoners when you might not feel entirely safe doing that. Christ-like kindness means caring for the weak, caring for those who have special needs, caring for those who are pretty much defined by their needs. Christ-like kindness means giving to the poor, even if they're not the most responsible with money. Christ-like kindness means befriending refugees and helping single moms and entering the foster care system to care for kids. Christ-like kindness even means opening yourself up to your enemies to sympathize with them and to serve them, which we cannot imagine will have much of a positive payoff. But then God is able to do more than we can imagine. And maybe as we receive his kindness as those who don't deserve it, and as we extend his kindness to others who also don't deserve it because they're like us, maybe his kindness will lead to repentance and new life with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That sounds good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we live in a society where fake self-serving kindness abounds. In your true kindness, help us to be free of that. Because of your spirit, grow Christ's own kindness in us. Make us truly compassionate and merciful and sympathetic and vulnerable and helpful people. Make us people who live to bless others, the littlest and the least and even our enemies. Make us unafraid to confront others in their sin because of the kindness of divine love that pursues what is best for people like us, pursues our repentance so that we can live with you forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.